This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 334, The Periodic Table of Financial Abundance, Number 5, Achieve Your Ultimate Potential with Investing and Real Estate. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Wait a minute, you didn't know we had a YouTube channel? That's right, we put content that we don't put anywhere else on YouTube, and you need to see it to believe it. So be sure to follow, like, and subscribe our channel so you won't miss a thing. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode in our crazy wild ride through the periodic table of financial abundance, where we're looking to find all the creative ways to explore abundance in your health, relationships, and overall happiness. We dive in each episode into various elements in your financially abundant life because if you're aware of them, you can take the next steps to improve on them. Now, in this episode, we're going to be talking about investing and we're going to pay special attention to the asset class of real estate and how real estate and investing relates to the overall periodic table. Now, once again, the periodic table of financial abundance is a concept I created to help you understand the different elements of financial success and how they all work together. It's based on the periodic table of elements. You remember that weird but complicated but kind of neatly, coolly organized chart you might remember from science class? It summarized and organized all the chemical elements in the known universe according to atomic number, chemical properties, physical characteristics, that sort of thing. The periodic table of financial abundance does the same thing, but with the elements of financial success, such as cash flow or business strategies or charity, so much more. So it was very hard in many ways for me to have a conversation with clients and really explore this universe without creating some sort of way to give a framework for discussing it. Now, remember how your periodic table in science class had numbers next to each element? I don't know if I remember what they were for or what they really meant, but here's what I'd like you to do. As you think about your periodic table of financial abundance, what number would you give yourself for each of the elements we've described so far? For example, liquidity, one of the elements we discovered and and talked about back in episode 332. What number would you give yourself? It does not have to be that complex. Maybe on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel you're doing at building up a liquid cash reserve to give you that sleep well at night number? Write that number down next to liquidity. Again, what about family finance? How are you doing at successfully communicating and integrating your family into your financial life? Again, write it down, scale of one to 10. So you can do this with each of the elements as we go through this series. Now, this is just a snapshot of where you're at today. Remember, these numbers, maybe you gave yourself a three out of 10 on liquidity, the numbers can change. So be gracious with yourself and just find a way to go from three to three and a half over the next month or two. Next, remember that these elements can work together and play together, just like in the real world. So the more liquidity you have, the more real estate you can invest in. Take for example, so much like mixing sodium and chloride creates salt, which creates a much more flavorful meal, when you mix 
different elements, you can better understand how they work together and how they're dynamically interrelated, the better overall your financial life will be as well. In fact, when we integrate the bank on yourself strategy, which uses whole life insurance with a number of these other tools that we'll be discussing today, everything, everything becomes much more interesting. So I talk in great detail about this back in episode 283 and 284, Fire Your Real Estate Banker. So go check those out if you'd like to dive deeper. But for now, let's dive into real estate. Real estate is a type of asset class that can do a ton of good in your financial life. It can generate income. It can appreciate in value. It provides tremendous tax benefits. And you can make good use of the concept of financing and leverage when you employ real estate. So it can be a monster tool in your toolbox. And if you're not using this real estate element, it's being used against you. How do I know that? Because everybody has to live somewhere. And somebody else is making bank off your back if you need to use their real estate for your shelter. So real estate can be classified in lots of different ways. There's all kinds. There's housing for individuals and families, known as residential real estate. Or what about business real estate for office space and business retail, like commercial real estate? How about industrial or even warehouse space or agricultural farmland or even recreational real estate such as theme parks and more? Investors are implementing each of these types of real estate and a lot of our clients are doing this as well. And each of them have different characteristics, different types of return and, and risks associated with them too. Now, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, the median net worth of homeowners, homeowners, okay, was $255,000 in 2019. That was their median net worth compared to a median net worth of only $6,300 for people who merely rent. So correlation of owning a home does not mean causation that you're going to get that net worth. And people can certainly lose everything in the real estate investment space. I've met many people, by the way, who have lost everything in real estate. But there's no denying that real estate investing can provide some tremendous advantages to helping you achieve financial abundance, which is what this periodic mini-series, periodic table mini-series is all about. Now, real estate investing provides a couple of key pieces. One, it generates a passive income from rent, and you can receive that as long as you have renters in the building, as well as a number of other income streams, such as mortgage note investing or bridge loans. There's lots of ways to get income from real estate. And the idea of financial abundance really comes down to the idea of passive income. Remember, go back to episode 332, where I talk more about cash flow there. So passive income is a core component to achieving financial freedom. And this means we really cannot ignore real estate as we look at it as one of the core elements in the periodic table. Now, the truth is expenses in your life will never stop, but income, at least your earned income, will stop. That's a guarantee right there. Someday your earned income will stop, but your expenses never will. So there are so many ways to invest in real estate. And again, it all comes down to your goals, your budget, and your risk tolerance. So one of the simplest and maybe the most common way to invest in real estate is something called buy and hold. You buy a property, you rent it out to tenants who pay you a monthly rent. In this way, you're a landlord and you can reap a couple of benefits, the income, of course, but also the potential appreciation of the real estate property over time. And on the other side of the ledger, you can deduct all of your expenses and your appreciation from your tax bill, which lowers your taxable income. This is a huge benefit. So is buy and hold the panacea for all your financial problems? Should we put all of our money in cash flowing real estate? Definitely not. 
Again, when you're a landlord, you have to deal with the maintenance, the repairs, the vacancies, and of course, the tenant issues. I call this the five T's of landlording. Tenants, taxes, trash, toilets, and termites. There's also the issue of having to come up with a large wad of cash to plunk down to buy your property, either all cash purchasing, which is hard to do, or having to go beg a bank with a large down payment in your pocket. And with loans, with interest rates on loans as high as they are today, that can become cost prohibitive for folks looking to implement the buy and hold tried and true strategy. Other people can get into fix and flip strategies. This is a more active, maybe more risky way to invest in real estate. What you do is you simply buy the property that needs some repairs and improvements. You fix it up either yourself or hiring a property general contractor, and then you sell it for a higher price. You make your money by selling that property for more than you paid for it. This is great because you can make a large amount of profit in a short period of time. Unfortunately, you have to pay taxes on that profit as ordinary income if you don't deduct it some other way, something that you, you know, might have been able to avoid if this was more of a long-term buy-and-hold situation. So now there are so many ways to invest in real estate, and I just want to briefly mention a few of them. Wholesaling, for example, is where you find a seller and you sign a contract with them, and your job with them is to find a buyer who's willing to pay more than the seller is asking. Your income then is the difference between what the seller's price is and the buyer's price is. This is great because you don't even need any money really to get into wholesaling, but watch out because you are the one bringing these two parties together. You have to act fast before those contracts expire. So if you just want to real estate without all this trouble I've been describing, you might look at something called a real estate investment trust or REIT. Now these are companies that own income producing real estate like malls or hotels, that sort of thing. And they oftentimes, they trade on the U.S. stock exchange so you can earn dividends from their profits and buy them pretty quickly. It gives you a little bit of exposure to the real estate world without having to do any of the real estate-y stuff. And you also get the advantage of having the liquidity, meaning you can sell your REIT funds anytime you want to. So the downside to all this is you lose all your control over your REIT and the decisions in there, and there's no tax advantages to investing in a REIT this way. Now, when you couple bank on yourself type whole life insurance with real estate, it puts everything on turbocharge. As I mentioned in episodes 283 and 284, I cover in detail some fascinating ways you can use your whole life policy in conjunction with real estate investing to increase your returns and even lower your risk. So please take some time to listen to those episodes. And if you'd like to reach out to me, I can send you a report of a short book I wrote on this topic. Just go to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com and click on request a meeting. And in the notes of the appointment, write the words, fire your real estate banker book. And I'll know that you're interested in getting a copy. Now, as deep a rabbit hole as the real estate element is, real estate is not the only way to invest your money and create abundance. There's a whole universe of investments that can offer you different benefits and risks and potential returns. Now, sure, we typically think about stocks, bonds, mutual funds, target date funds, index funds, all of which can be quickly found on the stock market exchanges. But there's a broad, broad array of other investments known as alternative investments, which are financial assets that don't fall into conventional categories of stocks and bonds. Alternative investments might have things like private equity or hedge funds or commodities. We're going to get into some of those here briefly. Alternative investments help you diversify your portfolio, gives you the potential for enhanced returns. Now, however, typically alternative investments are baked with higher fees 
Typically, there's lower liquidity. There's limited regulations on what these things are offering you, and there's a lot of volatility. Volatility should be another word or code word for terrible loss, okay? So remember, risk, risk, the word risk does not mean higher returns. Just because you're risking something doesn't mean you're getting higher returns. It merely means the higher probability of loss. So when you take on more risk, that does not mean you're getting a higher rate of return. It just means you have the higher probability that your investment will equal zero before the story is all done. Now, it is certainly possible to have all your net worth wrapped up in annuities and whole life insurance and other fixed guaranteed contracts. And quite candidly, not enough Americans have sufficient money laid aside in these contracts. And it's the reason, I believe, why there's so much financial turmoil in our world today. Now, I've been pounding the table for years, now calling on anyone who's willing to listen that including a safe, liquid, tax-advantaged, guaranteed asset in your portfolio, your financial life, will bring you more abundance, more peace of mind. Too many people wrap all of their net worth up in their house and whatever they can throw into their 401k, and that leaves them very little liquid cash for an emergency, maybe a thousand bucks or less, according to some studies. And that fact alone, that fact alone might explain many of the sleepless nights and most of the money worries that Americans face today. And that said, on the other side of the spectrum, I know people who would much prefer just to ignore the investment element and just bury everything in the sand. So let me return now to our first financial element that we discussed in this mini-series, the scale-up-your-mindset element, and also overcoming adversity. But let me focus in on scaling up for a minute. It's easy for some people in this part of the financial universe, the investment part, to bury their heads in the sand and say all this investing is just too complicated or it's too full of scam artists. They'll never get to participate in this exciting part of the periodic table. Can you make it without investing? I guess you could. But could you realize your full potential by totally avoiding investments? I don't think you can. By scaling up your mindset and being willing to face challenges and even overcoming adversity and problems and even risk, you can build your self-concept up, your self-esteem, your confidence. Here's the thing. You shouldn't look at investing as, I have to do it, but I get to do it. And when you're investing because you have to reach your financial goal, you're under the gun, you have to take on a lot more risk, this can lead to disaster. I've met too many people who feel like they're behind the eight ball on reaching their retirement goals, for example. They haven't saved enough. So now they're having to put more and more of their money into higher, riskier investments, gambling at the casino of Wall Street or risky investments, and they end up losing all of what they could not afford to lose. Remember, risk does not mean reward. Higher risk just means the higher probability of loss. So don't look at investing as I have to do this to meet my goals, but rather I get to do this and it helps me achieve my potential. When you're looking at investing as part of scaling up your mindset, you'll find that it can be one of the most rewarding elements and exciting parts of your financial journey. So, okay, so with that disclaimer out of the way, let's explore some of these alternative investments and see how they work. First, private equity is a type of investment that involves buying and selling stakes of private companies that are not listed on the public stock exchange. Most of the time, they're just big pools of money raised from different investors to acquire private companies. The goal of private equity funds is to gin up the businesses that are in their fund, get their performance up, and then exit that business through an initial public offering or sale to another company. 
So this means that private equity investments are usually longer term, definitely not liquid, pretty expensive, and typically require a high minimum investment to get in. So this locks out a lot of average investors, but it should tell us something about typical stocks on Wall Street. I want you to really think about this. The typical stock IPO or initial public offering is sort of the feeding trough and people are getting the last bites of the already eaten apple when you get that IPO or you see a stock on Wall Street. If the wealthiest investors in the world are able to take a first bite of the apple with private equity, and then their goal is to suck all the value out and then sell the investment at the highest price possible to general investors through initial public offerings on Wall Street, this means that many of our stocks on Wall Street are already, at the time of their initial public offering, overpriced. And this could be an explanation as to why so many IPOs crash immediately after going public. Now, many private equity firms also suck all the value out of the company and try to sell that pig with lipstick to the general public through IPOs. It doesn't exactly make me excited to go buy stocks or you know initial coin offerings and things like that. If I truly understood how private equity works, you'll want to participate in that rather than being the sucker buying what the IPO is selling. Next, while private equity typically invests in companies, hedge funds look at a pool of investing in almost anything. Stocks, bonds, commodities, currencies, derivatives, lots of things. Hedge funds are also using short selling and leverage and arbitrage to enhance their performance and reduce the risk. Now, there can be quite a bit of income and profit from hedge funds, but it can also really face, you could be faced with a lot of risk and losing money if the fund performs poorly or even collapses. Commodities and cryptocurrencies and collectibles. These are three C's I want to wrap up with here. Commodities might be raw materials like gold, wheat, coffee, oil, so much more. Commodities are typically things that are used in consumption or production of other items. The idea is really to protect against inflation with these, uh, but it could also be a speculative part of your investment portfolio as well. You can buy an investment in anything. Toilet paper technically was a good rate of return during the pandemic, for example. Cryptocurrencies, we've talked about those in other episodes. They can offer investors a place to store their wealth as long as the coin is worth something. I've talked in other episodes around my concerns around general cryptocurrencies, and it really should be seen at this point as a speculative part of your portfolio, not much more at this time. Now, there's a lot of ways to invest in the crypto craze. And if you go back to the gold rush, more people made money selling camping gear, gold sifting pans, and pickaxes than those who made their fortune finding actual gold. Let that be a lesson as we look at the crypto craze today. If you expose yourself to the crypto investment asset class, try looking into things like computer chip companies or investing in software maybe that promotes blockchain technology. Maybe that's an offering that you can get behind that doesn't expose yourself directly to the crypto mania. Now, finally, there are a lot of collectibles out there. Now, a collectible is anything that has artistic or historical or emotional value. This could be an antique piece of artwork, stamps, wine, really anything that you can collect. There's so much more here. You can invest in ATM machines, buying and leasing the machine, earning income from those fees charged to users. You can invest in vending machines, stocking them with products, candy, whatever, and earning income from those sales. A big way to invest is in storage units. You can buy a building or build a building for storage facilities and then rent out those units to customers. 
More people have storage units today than at any other time in history. You can buy or lease billboard space and sell advertising space to clients and earn income from the ad revenue. Laundromats, great way to collect a lot more than quarters. You can generate some significant cash flow selling everything from the washing machines to the detergent to the snacks. We have clients investing in car washes, solar farms, wind farms, cell towers, which are a great way to earn some income just leasing small plots of land to wireless carriers. You can invest in parking lots. Or if you don't like physical real estate, what about digital real estate by buying up domain names for websites and then earning income from selling those domain names or renting them out? You can invest in media like blogs or podcasts or YouTube channels or even full-blown movie investments. I've got a few clients that reap the rewards through royalties of media like movies or online courses, ebooks, or investing in building the next app or software. Now, as you can see, there is so much here that we just don't have time to dig into. And there are entire gurus out there who are ready to tell you to put all your money into their silver bullet for your financial success. And I get it. I get it. For many people who feel like they are behind the eight ball and have not done enough in terms of preparing for their financially abundant future, feel themselves the need to plunk down as much money as they can into one of these weird investments. And it might seem like a great idea, at least at first at least at first. But unfortunately, I've seen many people who lost everything into the infinite black hole of shoulda, woulda, coulda. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Now, one more reminder as we wrap up that investing should be, I get to do it, not I have to do it. Only invest the money you can afford to lose. Everything else should be saved. Any money you cannot afford to lose should be saved in safe, predictable, liquid contracts. Investing is not easy, but it's worth it. It requires knowledge, discipline, courage, and patience. It'll also primarily require a mindset of abundance. And by putting effort and energy and money into something, you can create more value than you can consume. That's what investing is all about. So having that mindset of abundance as you approach your investments can help you overcome fear, scarcity, limitations, help you embrace that true potential for growth in your life. Okay, so in our next episode, we're going to be talking about three more elements that might at first not sound like they're connected, but have to do a lot with each other, and that is business ownership, tax strategies, and charities. So stay tuned. And thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.